When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $15.99. Save $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. This is CNN Breaking News. Welcome to The Lead. I'm Jake Tapper, and we start this hour with breaking news. The White House says 20 or more Americans are missing in Israel. This is in addition to the 14 Americans killed. This is after the terrorist attacks carried out by Hamas. U.S. officials say it's not clear if all of these 20 Americans missing are being held hostage, just that as of now, they are currently unaccounted for. This announcement came just minutes ago after a speech by President Biden where he pledged unwavering support for Israel against what he called, quote, the pure, unadulterated evil, unquote, of Hamas. Hamas offers nothing but terror and bloodshed with no regard to who pays the price. And let there be no doubt the United States has Israel's back. We will make sure the Jewish and democratic state of Israel can defend itself today, tomorrow, as we always have. It's as simple as that. This afternoon, we learned that that evil of Hamas has resulted in more than 1,000 deaths in Israel so far, mostly of civilians. The death toll also tragically includes a number of civilians from the town of Kfar Aza in southern Israel. Israel's military says Hamas killed civilians in the town, slaughtered them. It's a scene one Israeli general described as worse than anything he has seen in his 40-year career. I, I heard during my childhood about the pogrom in Europe and, and the Holocaust, of course. All my family came from, from Europe and they are survival, etc., etc. I never think that I will see in my eyes picture and, and, and things like this. Fighting has erupted in recent hours as the sun began to set over the Middle East. CNN teams on the ground in the Israeli town of Ashkelon, which is north of Gaza on the coast of the Mediterranean, captured this video of what they described as a relentless tempo of rockets fired by Hamas into Israel, followed by loud booms of Israel's Iron Dome self-defense system. And drone video from over Gaza earlier today shows the scale of the destruction from Israel's airstrikes against Gaza. Palestinian authorities say homes, schools, and hospitals have been hit by the IDF, and more than 100,000 residents of Gaza have been displaced. CNN's Clarissa Ward is in Ashkelon, Israel, just a few miles north of that border with Gaza. Uh, from where you are, uh, Clarissa, you could see Hamas pummeling the city with rockets all day. It was so close to you, in fact, it, it damaged your car. 
That's right, Jake. We had seen on Hamas's Telegram channel that they were warning people to leave the city by 5 p.m. We got here just about five minutes before that, and right at the top of the hour, uh, a relentless bombardment began. That basically continued on and off for several hours. At a certain point, I think we, we lost count of the number of times that the sirens went off. You would hear uh, the missiles, then you would hear, of course, the Iron Dome intercepting the vast majority of those missiles. It's always very difficult to get a precise sense of how many are intercepted versus how many make landfall. But there seems to be a consensus here, at least, that while the residents of Ashkelon are no strangers to rocket fire, while they have shelters on every floor of every hotel and public buildings, uh, they haven't really seen anything on the scale of this kind of a sustained bombardment. So very much a sense of tension here on the ground in Ashkelon and indeed throughout many of these cities that are near to the border where the rocket fire has been continuing, of course, on the other side of the border in Gaza. It has also been a brutal day, continued bombardment. The death toll there climbing now above 800 people. And no sense that any of this is going to stop. In fact, quite the opposite. Uh, it appears, you know, from what we've heard from President Biden, from what we heard from Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu yesterday, that the specter of a, a ground invasion is entirely possible, if not likely, Jake. All right. Clarissa Ward in Ashkelon, Israel. Thank you so much. At least 900 people have been killed in Gaza since Saturday, according to the Palestinian Ministry of Health. B buildings have been flattened, food and water cut off. More bodies pulled from the rubble today. This is after Israel fired at least 200 rockets overnight into the densely populated area in retaliation for the atrocities committed by Hamas over the weekend. As CNN's Ben Wiedemann reports, top Israeli military leaders say it's nearly impossible to determine if they're striking Hamas or innocent civilians as Hamas embeds itself within the Palestinian population. The Gaza City neighborhood, once known as El Rimel, the Sands, reduced to ashes. Its residents retrieve what they can, which isn't much. Israel continues to pound the strip, targeting, it says, Hamas infrastructure. Residents in shock are asking why. I got married this year, says Yahya Lahuel. What did I do? What have we done? You destroyed an entire neighborhood. He says he never fired a rocket. In this one of the most densely populated patches of land on Earth, bombs crashing into crowded neighborhoods rarely differentiate between fighter and civilian. The death toll rises by the hour, while Gaza's hospitals are overwhelmed with the wounded, including infants. Around 40% of the population of Gaza is under the age of 15, according to the CIA. The information ministry in Gaza reports that nearly 170 buildings have been destroyed and more than 12,000 residences damaged. Tens of thousands have fled their homes, seeking refuge in UN schools converted into shelters. An oven in this bakery in Gaza City has shut down, many of the shelves empty. Life here was already difficult, and now the future looks bleaker than ever. 
يعني غزة مش هترفع راسها. Gaza will take five years to raise its head after this, says Wahiba Sirsawi. And after five years, there will be two or three more wars. It's a catastrophe. And amidst all this, somewhere in Gaza, only Hamas knows where, are more than a hundred Israeli captives. Fates unknown. Tuesday afternoon, Israel struck Gaza's only port, used principally by fishermen. While at the same time, Hamas unleashed a massive volley of rockets toward Ashkelon. The abyss approaches. And this evening, we heard from a spokesman for the Israeli military who says that several rockets were fired from Syria into the Israeli-occupied Golan Heights, landing in open territory. He said that the Israeli forces responded to the source of that rocket fire with mortars and artillery. Jake? Ben Wiedemann in Jerusalem for us. Thank you. The Hamas terrorist attack over the weekend was followed by a promise by the Israeli military of swift and devastating retaliation and a warning to Gaza residents to leave any any area near Hamas, which would be quite difficult since Hamas is embedded within the Palestinian population in Gaza. On Saturday night, I asked a spokesman for the Israeli Defense Forces just where Gazans are supposed to go given the closed-off border that has made Gaza, in the words of a former British prime minister, essentially an open-air prison. Here's his response. But they should go south, they can go towards the shore, and they can be in locations that are uh, not close to Hamas facilities. More than two million Palestinians live in Gaza. About half of those are children. Let's bring in Hanin Okal. She's a Palestinian-American from Union County, New Jersey. She is currently stuck in Gaza City with her three children. They are eight, two, and a two-month-old. They cannot get out. Uh, thank you so much uh, for joining us. Has the U.S. Embassy been able to get, give you any help to get out? Hi, how are you? Yes, um, we tried to contact the U.S. Embassy so many times. Unfortunately, they couldn't help us at all. I contacted them through the phone, via email. I texted and I I called different numbers, but nobody, uh, I couldn't hear back from any. Uh, they said that we're going to call you uh, back uh, within 24 hours or so on, a couple hours, but they couldn't... Uh, they couldn't at all call us or we didn't get any information from them. I applied, I submitted a form uh, through the website, uh, but that didn't work as well. Um, and I don't know with what happened with areas crossing border and what what happening with the Rafah border. I don't know if we're going to make it, but I am absolutely looking forward to uh, the help of the U.S. Embassy. We are all here feeling abandoned that, and we're feeling that we're left alone. So we're really looking for the U.S. Embassy uh, to help the U.S. citizens who are living in Gaza. That was just an Israeli airstrike that that we just heard? That was just an Israeli airstrike that we just heard? A what? That that we just heard a a sound, like a a bomb or a missile. Is that what we just heard? Yes, yes. Yes, that's happening 24 hours, um, all time. They're bombing all around uh, from south to north. 
to the center of Gaza, everywhere. Bombing is everywhere. Your, your, your kids, how, how are they doing with that? It's terrible. My kids are very scared and they're afraid of what's gonna, going on. I have to explain all the time. Uh, I have to calm them down and uh, trying to uh, make them feel comfortable, safe, and uh, trying to make them busy with other things uh, so they can't feel afraid or scared. Uh, but like they are, like what happened with me, for example, today, yeah. I was going trying to get out from Gaza. I was going uh, to Rafah border. And uh, while we're going there, we tried multiple ways to get out of uh, uh, Gaza, going to Rafah to the south. Uh, we couldn't make it at all. So my son saw all the locations, destroyed his favorite places. He was, he was shocked with what he saw. So we had to see all that and we had to go um, through what we say. Okay. So it was like, you know, you're going to death. Yeah. Um, yes. There needs to be a way for you to get out. I mean, you're not Hamas. You're an innocent person and you have three kids. You need to be able to get out. You, you heard earlier the suggestions from the IDF spokesman I spoke with Saturday night. Where are innocent Palestinians supposed to go? He said, you can go to the south. You can go to the shore. Is that at all realistic? We just, we just heard about your attempt to go to the border crossing in the south and, and that didn't work. Is there anywhere for you to go to escape uh, to escape this barrage of no. missiles? No, we tried everywhere. They say, go to the shore, and then they bomb the shore next day. They say, go to the north, and then they bomb the north areas uh, next day. They, like, everywhere. They're bombing everywhere. So no place is safe here in Gaza Strip. And um, it's like it's just terrible and very, very, you know, very hard to explain. Because yeah. they're bumping everywhere. Well, I hope it's the White House... It's not just a place or like a place that is close to Hamas. They're bumping places that are not related to Hamas too. Like, uh, I don't know, everywhere. Hanin Okal, we have your number. I know that the White House watches this show. The White House can call me and we will put them in touch with you. You and your kids need to get out safe, and mm-hmm. you need to get out safe as soon as is humanly possible. Please stay safe. Stay in touch with us. We're going to do everything we can to help you. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you. And we will make sure uh, that the White House uh, gets that information, whether they're watching or, or not. So uh, what could an Israeli ground invasion into Gaza look like? Well, Israel has saturated its southern border with troops and tanks and called up more than 300,000 reservists to fight. Where that operation stands right now, that's next. Tens of thousands of Israeli troops are on the move as Israel prepares for a possible ground invasion into Gaza. In total, more than 300,000 Israeli troops have already been called up to fight to retaliate against the Hamas terrorist attack over the weekend. CNN's Jeremy Diamond is in Ashdod, Israel, which is north of the Gaza border, tracking the largest mobilization in Israel's history on such short notice. As militants infiltrated Israel, Israeli forces are still fighting to eliminate the threat. 
We are here right outside of the Israeli town of Mifalsim, where we have been hearing repeated exchanges of gunfire over the last 10 minutes or so. These exchanges, we haven't seen uh, who exactly they are between, but we do know that Israeli forces have been continuing to try and clear some of these Israeli towns around the Gaza Strip from those Hamas militants. The IDF later confirming they killed two Hamas terrorists in the battle. But minutes after it ended, Israeli defense forces rushing a casualty into an ambulance. Okay, okay, we're going. But the soundtrack to life in most Israeli communities around the Gaza Strip today wasn't gunfire, but rockets. In Sterot, the booms punctuate the stillness of the day. We've just come into a shelter here where we can take cover from these Iron Dome interceptions. And of course, they're intercepting active rockets coming in from Gaza. The booms are very loud. They are directly overhead. 20 minutes later, another barrage of rockets headed for the city of Ashkelon. All right, we're in the city of Sterot where we can now see that barrage that Hamas promised at 5 p.m. Uh, appearing to head over in the direction of Ashkelon. Now, that is exactly where Hamas officials said about an hour ago uh, that they would fire rockets in that direction. But there is also another sound in towns like Sterot. Israeli troops and reservists mobilizing to the Gaza front. Part of a massive call-up of more than 300,000 reserve troops preparations for a potential ground invasion of Gaza. For some, this moment feels different. Then we came in with a concept of, of you know, full control. This one started with, with much more, obviously, confusion, and, uh, and um, the, the playing field is different, that's uh, certainly. Um, but I, I think in the, in the last two days, the, the momentum has shifted. An entire country is springing into action, with those out of uniform bringing food and supplies to troops. After days of tragedy, also a sense of resilience. I'm not afraid at all, she said. When it will be my time, it will be my time. And Jake, driving through these towns bordering the Gaza Strip, one thing is clear, that the situation right now is far from stable, and it could get much, much worse. As we drove through these towns, we continually have this kind of eerie sense of calm, punctuated only by those sirens here on the Israeli side, uh, the rockets, and also, as we are hearing tonight, uh, that steady rumble of Israeli airstrikes hitting the Gaza Strip. But the question is, what is going to come next? 300,000, more than 300,000 Israeli uh, reservists have been called up, one of the largest mobilizations in Israel's history. Most folks here seem to think that a ground invasion is imminent, but Israeli officials have yet to actually confirm that. The Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, in a speech last night to the Israeli public, made clear that he plans to take unprecedented action against Hamas, but he has yet to take an actual decision or give an order on an invasion. Jake? All right, Jeremy Diamond, thank you. Just now during Jeremy's report, we could see a number of explosions over Gaza, another scary night for the innocent Palestinians there. Uh, families of those missing or held hostage in Gaza are understandably growing more anxious and frustrated by the day. CNN was there as many of those Israelis and Americans voiced some of that frustration today. Their desperate pleas 
for Hamas to return their loved ones. That's next. We all do things our own way. And since the way that each of us sleeps is unique, you need a bed that fits you just the right way. Sleep Number smart beds make your sleep experience as individual as you are, using cutting-edge technology to give you effortless, high-quality sleep every night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, during Sleep Number's President's Day sale, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed plus special financing for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. See store for details. When you work, you work next level. When you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, during Sleep Number's President's Day sale, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed plus special financing for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. See store for details. We don't know if she's alive, if she's wonder, if she's hiding. Um, bad. We went to uh, the uh, uh, missing person center. We uh, gave them all the information that we had, and uh, from since then we're waiting. Please, if somebody knows anything, please let us know. We need Ben back. We need him back. I need him back. I just need to hold her. I really need to see her. I'm calling and I'm asking people. Where is my sister? And nobody can give me answers. Can you imagine? Shock and fear turning into anger and frustration as Israeli families search for their loved ones. This is four days after that deadly act of terror by Hamas. Many of these people still have not heard a word from the Israeli government or military. CNN's Becky Anderson is in Tel Aviv. And Becky, you you heard from some of these families today. What are they asking of Israeli and U.S. authorities? They are pleading for help and information, and they are urging the U.S. government to help negotiate the release of these hostages. Just let me explain um, what happened today. We heard from families of four um, dual citizens, U.S. and Israeli citizens, uh, who are missing, presumed to be Uh, held hostage by Hamas. Um, We heard from the son and daughter of a 66-year-old nurse, from the parents of a 23-year-old who was at the rave on Saturday morning. We heard um, from the father of uh, a boy named Zaggy. A boy is a grown man. He's 35 years old. He has two kids and his wife is pregnant with their third. He lives on the kibbutz um, in Oz. This is a kibbutz that was overrun on Saturday morning. There is video doing the rounds on social media of militants rampaging through a military base very close to this kibbutz and then rampaging through the kibbutz itself, which has been reduced to rubble. Um, it was a kibbutz of 400 people um, and we spoke to Zaggy's dad today who says that they have heard nothing from Zaggy since Saturday morning. His father has flown in from the US to try and elicit some sort of information about 
what is going on with his son. And he is pleading for help from both the Israeli and the US governments. Have a listen to what he told me. The United States administration and its various services uh, have relationships in the world um, with countries that Israel does not. And it could be helpful for the United States in, in its various uh, uh, parts to engage with those friends and those acquaintances to help in it negotiate in some way secure the release or at least get solid information. My children and grandchildren who were on the kibbutz, so Sagi's young family and another young family, experienced a living hell for the better part of 20 hours. Um, these are young children, um, young men and women who cannot be anything other than traumatized by what they witnessed. Um, my job now as a parent is to try to put the pieces back together. Put the pieces back together, he said, is the job that he has now. He also feels as a father that he has a responsibility to do whatever it takes to try and get his son released. Um, Jake, that was a community of 400. And uh, as far as uh, Jonathan uh, knows, um, there are only 160 survivors of that massacre there on Saturday morning. The fourth family member, let me just tell you, uh, that we heard from today was the father, Ruby, of a boy called uh, Itai, who is 19 years old, and he is a reservist um, in the uh, IDF, and he was down on the border, hasn't been heard of since Saturday as well. So f members of four families, uh, four individuals who have been taken, presumed to be taken uh, hostage by Hamas, and they just need help. They have heard nothing from either, or they certainly hadn't, uh, when I spoke to them this afternoon, from either the Israeli or U.S. governments. Jake? And Becky, yesterday you were at a hospital until they've already overwhelmed. Um, how are they prepared to treat any additional casualties uh, because, you know, after a potential ground incursion? Mm. Well, the director of that hospital told me that he'd never seen anything like this. This is the biggest hospital um, in, uh, in Israel. It's the hospital in Tel Aviv. And it's generally where you'll get the most serious victims coming. And that is exactly what has happened this time. Um, for, from so many of the um, incidents in this massacre, uh, mostly people were um, dealt with on the site first when eventually the army got to them and that was some 10, 12, 15 hours in and then evacuated to this hospital. He said he expects to see three, four, five times the numbers um, that he is currently seeing at present. He said the difference between what they're seeing now and what they've seen in conflicts of in the past here and of course there have been numerous conflicts here in the past is that generally in the past uh, the uh, serious injuries and the burns and the gunshot wounds that they've seen are from soldiers uh, unfortunately this time it is civilians and soldiers um, and they are not overwhelmed they can cope at this point uh, but clearly he is very concerned about the prospect of a ground incursion and what will happen um, what sort of price will be paid uh, by uh, the people there in Gaza, mm -hmm. both these hostages, potentially, mm -hmm. and civilians. Becky Anderson, thank you so much. Gaza is coming up on the midnight hour. We're monitoring the night sky there where, once again, sporadic explosions have sent large plumes of smoke up. Daylight might, might reveal what was hit. 
How should the U.S. respond to this brutal war? We're going to talk with a member of Congress who was a Middle East analyst for the CIA. Stay with us. And we're back with our world lead. As if it needs to be said, Saturday was the deadliest day for Jews in the world since the Holocaust. Since, since then. And at least 1,000 people have been killed in the Hamas attacks. Um, mostly civilian. Among them, 14 Americans as of now. The U.S. State Department says uh, it is in contact with many Americans still stuck in Israel and wanting to get out. Democratic Congresswoman Alyssa Slotkin of Michigan is with me. She's on the Armed Services Committee, and she used to be a Middle East analyst uh, in the CIA. Thanks so much uh, for being here. Um, Your office has gotten calls and texts about Americans trying to get out of Israel, trying to get out of Palestinian territories. I don't know if you saw earlier, but we were talking to a Palestinian-American woman in Gaza trying to desperately get out. Um, So far, the American government has not particularly been helpful. There really isn't a way to get out of Gaza. Um, What are you hearing from your constituents and, and how concerned are you about their safety? Well, I mean, I think there are more American passport holders in Israel than almost any other country in the world, maybe more than any country in the world. So Getting those American passport holders out if they want to come out is a huge endeavor. Um, we know that American carriers aren't leaving from Ben Gurion Airport. We've had some other international flights canceled today. I've been helping people over the Jordanian border, over land, and the Jordanian government has been amazing at helping to facilitate that. Um, church groups, individual students, parents. Um, it's just been a huge effort. And I know every member of Congress is dealing with that same onslaught of requests. Can Egypt help at all with the Palestinian Americans stuck in the Gaza Strip? Because Certainly. I think, um, I think Israel will have to be a part of that conversation. And I don't know where they stand on that, but uh, certainly that is a border area. Yes. So you, you have lived in Israel, is that right? Lived in Israel, lived in Jordan, yep. When you were with the CIA? Is no. It? no. No, it's just in different times of your life. Mm-hmm. When the attack happened, the Israeli Defense Forces seemed to have been mainly located in the West Bank or at home. Does, does this surprise you how much Israel was caught off guard and how uh, slowly it, it, the, 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 the rescues came for, for Israelis? Could more lives have been saved if troops weren't so positioned in the West Bank? Well, look, we're going to have a lot of time to go over how an intelligence failure like this happened. Think about our 9-11 commission. Think about getting these senior members, experienced, you know, bipartisan group together to take a deep look at this. They're going to have to do that same thing. They did the same thing after the 1973 war when they were caught off guard. A big sort of with Supreme Court justices and everything. So they will have plenty of time. But obviously it's a failure and they're going to have to grapple with this. One thing was to not know it was coming, not to have human intelligence sources embedded with Hamas to sort of tip off the Israelis, which is kind of the gold standard for the intelligence community, not to have signals intelligence of what they were saying to each other across telephones, across computers, walkie-talkies, whatever. Um, But then there was the second conversation about their military preparedness. Were they overcommitted on the West Bank side? Were they too focused that way and not on Gaza? All of those things yeah, are going to be. And why they were there also. Def- and why, right? Def- protecting the settlers who I, were. I think that's going to be a very serious question for the Israeli government. But there's going to be plenty of time for that. I think right now, people are still in shock. People are still finding out today, including members of my own staff, if they have friends and loved ones and cousins who are missing, who are, you know, um, uh, injured. And so I, I think that the time will come for that. And it will be a serious, like, groundbreaking thing for the Israeli government to deal with that. So you have a Democratic colleague from Michigan, Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib, 
she's the first Palestinian-American woman to ever serve in Congress. And she released a statement that said, quote, I grieve the Palestinian and Israeli lives lost. The path, to, the path to peace must include lifting the blockade, ending the occupation, and dismantling the apartheid system that creates the suffocating, dehumanizing conditions that can lead to resistance. As long as our country provides billions in unconditional funding to support the apartheid government, this heartbreaking cycle of violence will continue. What was your reaction uh, when you read Congresswoman Tlaib's statement? Well, first of all, I mean, I handle my issues with other members of Congress privately, right? I I have lots of private conversations. Um, But I think for me, it shouldn't be hard to condemn terrorists and terrorism, right? And that doesn't mean you don't have beef with the Israeli government, right? Lots of people, we saw a fifth of the Israeli population had beef with the Israeli government, But it should be easy, especially with the details coming out, to condemn terrorism and terrorists. And Hamas is a terrorist organization. They do not represent all Palestinians. We shouldn't connect those two. So to me, I think that was the hardest part, not just about that statement, but a number of statements that have come out from organizations and individuals. I I don't question whether someone has the right to be angry at the Israeli government. I question their inability to condemn grievous grievous violence. And that's what I think is, has been difficult. There, there does seem to be, look, we've, we've spent a lot of time in the, during the Trump years looking at anti-Semitism on the right. This does, these last few days have been a real uh, eye-opening period for a lot of people, a lot of Democrats, a lot of progressives in terms of anti-Semitism on the left. A lot of people who seem more shocked at dehumanizing language uh, used by world leaders to describe Hamas than what Hamas actually perpetrated on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, look, anti-Semitism should be stamped out wherever it is, on the right or on the left. And we shouldn't look more glowingly on it if it comes from our side, right? So Republicans need to strongly condemn the grievous anti-Semitism that I've seen on their side, and we need to absolutely go after anti-Semitism on the left. And that it it should just be a standard thing and not a political thing, whether you condemn it or not. Democratic Congresswoman Alyssa Slotkin, thank you so much. For days now, we've heard how Hamas stormed into that musical, music festival Saturday and killed hundreds of people, raping people as well, raping women. My next guest was there. There's also some new videos showing the callous, cold-hearted actions of the terrorists there. Stay with us. Of the 1,000 people killed in the terrorist attacks by Hamas, more than 260 were at the Nova Music Festival on Saturday. Some were killed at point-blank range. Their belongings were looted. Their actions seen in a car's dash camera parked at the festival. That video was obtained by CNN today. Amit Musai was at the festival when it came under fire, and he joins us now. Amit I mean, words, Hello, good afternoon, Jake. words fail. I'm so sorry you went through this. I'm glad you were okay. Can you tell us Thank you what much. happened that morning? So uh, me and uh, three of my friends, we were at the music festival, which is very close to the border with Gaza. Um, towards uh, 6.30 a.m. while we were dancing on a dance floor, um, the music suddenly stopped. We thought it's it's a... It's something with electricity, but then we realized that they were shooting rockets at us from Gaza. Uh, we tried to find a shelter. There is no safe zone as this was an open space. We were basically in the desert with some eucalyptus trees. 
Uh, we've lied on the ground and tried to find shelter, but we realized that there is no way to find shelter in such a great open area. Um, while the security personnel on the festival started to aim us to leave the space and to start to escape, um, me and my friends were probably the, the, the first uh, group of people who realized we need to go into our vehicles to start the engines and to flee out. Now, this was a festival attended by uh, thousands of people, 3,500 people were there, not just Israelis, as this festival was also uh, inviting a lot of uh, uh, global guests. It was co in a collaboration with the Brazilian festival, so there were a lot of uh, foreign people attending. Mm -hmm. Many of them didn't know even what to do, they didn't even understand what is happening. As us Israelis, we are kind of used to rocket the um, um, attacks on Israel, so we know what we should do. Anyways, uh, me and three of my friends, we, we met by our camping site and uh, we started to uh, run towards our car. Actually, my car is quite a new vehicle. I'm a tour guide. It's a, it's a four-wheel drive that I'm using uh, to drive my tourists from place to place. Um, and this uh, vehicle failed to start, which uh, later on possibly saved me from something else. So we were basically escaping from the uh, rocket attack and uh, we've made our way uh, out. So we had to drive a bit on the, on the, on the, not on the paved roads. Yeah. And uh, we've, we found a way uh, out towards the, the roads uh, in the Gaza envelope area. While my friends asked me where I'm aiming towards, I told them I'm aiming away. So if rockets are coming from southwest, which is the location of Gaza on the map of Israel, I'm driving to northeast towards right. the, the rising sun. And uh, over there we found uh, after maybe 10 or 15 minutes drive, while trying to call to our friends, which were on their way, they told us that they are in, in a shelter, but there are shootings. Now, we didn't realize yet that those shootings were not rockets. They were meaning gun shootings. Right, because of the... the as the, we were the making our way to, on the to find some shelter. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so as we found a way towards a shelter, towards a, a, a gas station and a coffee place, which is a building, and this is where you want to hide by. You want to hide by a wall that can protect you. Uh, en route, we saw... Um, a, a GMC Savannah, so it's a, it's a white uh, truck, and we saw that all the windows were shattered. We didn't even realize what just happened to this car. I imagined that this car was hit by a rocket. Mm -hmm. Later in time, after realizing what really happened at the festival, we understood that most likely one of those pickup trucks that possibly you have videos of that were carrying terrorists from the uh, Gaza Strip into Israel, they were driving on that road, possibly a minute or two before we took this road, and they shot down the, the vehicle and all the people that were there. Possibly they even managed to kidnap some of the people because we saw only one body, and oh. it was not the driver. It was the by the the driver's uh, passenger. And I, and I know, I mean, uh, the, I know that you, you have three daughters, and... One of your daughters, uh, her friend, is missing. Was 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 kidnapped. 
So um, we were expecting friends to, to join us and they had not been yet in the festival. They were, uh, they found shelter in a place uh, very close to one of the settlements in the Gaza envelope. And unfortunately, they were encountered terrorists, most likely from a blank uh, distance. And uh, and uh, those those two friends, they are my best friends, and they are the parents of my daughter's besties. So I have a 10 years old, they have a 10 years old. I have an eight years old, they have an eight years old. And uh, they are the best friends. They are th those two friends of mine that are gone missing. Um, We don't know what happened to them. We just found their vehicle. Uh, I think it was two days ago in the morning. Uh, uh, we found their vehicle. You probably have videos of that. All right. So I just want to emphasize that, that the attack was like the attacks that you understand and know, like ISIS. Yeah. yeah. They were butchering people and they were abusing the bodies of people. Those are not people. Those are not animals. Those are monsters. Yeah. And they are representing all the people that are in the Gaza Strip. This is the ruling entity in Gaza. Amit Musai, I'm so sorry you went through that. And it's so horrible. And I'm, 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 I hope that you hear from your friends uh, soon. Thank you so much for sharing your story. Thank you very much. And I hope America will continue to support us. We'll be right back. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. This is CNN Breaking News. Welcome to The Lead. I'm Jake Tapper. The dysfunction among Republicans in the U.S. House of Representatives has now taken on global significance because of the crisis in the Middle East. So we are in this hour going to focus a bit on House Republicans meeting at this hour. They are hoping to get one step closer to deciding who will become their next speaker, the individual who runs the House of Representatives without a speaker No legislation can be passed, including any legislation that might address the going, growing crisis on the ground in Israel. So we are following that story, but we are going to begin today in the Middle East, where at least a thousand people have been killed in the Hamas attacks on Israel, most of them civilians. President Biden confirming today that 14 of them were Americans. The White House says 20 additional Americans are still missing, and that number might not necessarily reflect the number of American hostages. It's just 20 Amer Americans who are not accounted for right now. Today, Israel is carrying out airstrikes on the Gaza port in retaliation. As we're learning, Israel perhaps not only missed signs of an attack, they may have been tricked. Reuters is reporting that for two years, Hamas went to great lengths to try to convince Israel that Hamas was so tired of war that it would be placated by economic incentives to Gazan workers. But according to the report, it was all an elaborate front. Behind the scenes, the group's fighters were being trained and drilled for this extensive attack. A modern-day version of the Haversack Ruse during the Brits' Palestine campaign of World War I, where the British dropped a sack filled with fake plans meant to deceive the Turks into believing that Gaza was its main target when it was not. 
considered one of the greatest wartime deceptions in military history and in a lesson apparently not learned well enough. But the images coming out of Israel today do not show a typical war. They show potential war crimes. This is what Hamas did to the small town of Kfar Aza, one IDF official telling CNN that they slaughtered Israeli civilians. They beheaded people. A grim reminder of the last time this many Jews were killed in a single day. That was during the Holocaust. This story is now just beginning, and while we do not know how it will end, the world can see of what Hamas is capable, whether it is in that small town or at that music festival where attendees were hiding in bomb shelters where they were executed by hand grenades and guns. CNN's Aaron Burnett just arrived in Tel Aviv this morning, and Aaron, back and forth strikes have led to another night of unease across Israel and Gaza. Ashkelon was a major target of Hamas today, and now we're learning rockets were launched tonight from Syria into Israeli territory, which of course is just adding to the already volatile situation. Yeah. All right, Jacob, you know, when they talk about the, the worry about this expanding, the war expanding and also expanding uh, within Israel to multiple fronts, uh, the Israeli Defense Forces, the IDF, are saying that there were rockets fired from Syrian territory to Israeli territory. They don't say how many. They don't say whether there were any injuries, uh, but, but they said that that happened today. And, of course, it added as over the past 24 hours, uh, there have been uh, skirmishes uh, with Hezbollah uh, forces uh, up in the north, up by Lebanon, right, and then down, of course, by Gaza. Uh, you had today a barrage of rockets. You talk about Ashkelon, and that is exactly what we saw here in the early hours of the evening. The sky lit up. Uh, the Iron Dome, of course, did protect. Uh, very few, if any, broke through. We don't hear about any injuries, uh, but it was a barrage. And Hamas had said, 5 o'clock local time, they're going to uh, strike Ashkelon with rockets. And they did exactly that. The other thing I will say, Jake, you talk about ba- the, the bombardment of the Gaza port. I can't tell you if that's exactly what we were hearing today. But one thing that uh, is definitely the case, obviously, given the small distances that you're talking about. Here in Tel Aviv, you could hear the constant thudding, and you could actually feel it all the way uh, through your body, through your core. You could hear the thudding uh, of what we were told uh, was Israeli bombardment of Gaza. Obviously, not able to tell you that's exactly what it was, uh, but you can literally feel that uh, in your body as those strikes are happening. Um, So, obviously, all this comes in the context, as you said, of the fact that You've got 150 hostages and people still don't know their whereabouts, whether they're alive, uh, whether they're dead. Uh, families uh, in terror still waiting, uh, you know, people waiting for entire members of their families and, and just still so many questions about that, Jake. And w- until they, there are answers on that, until they know what's going to happen there, it seems very uh, uncertain that we will know exactly how uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu will even deal with a possible ground invasion into Gaza. And Aaron, we, we heard from President Biden a few hours ago. He pledged his unwavering support to Israel. How will that message go over there uh, as the rockets keep firing? Well, Jake, as you know, one of the first things when you talk to Israeli officials or even speaking to family members of hostages, and I know you, you've you experienced this as well, they say thank you. They say thank you to the United States. And it is, uh, you know, something we hear again and again. So that's certainly the, the attitude and the feeling. Uh, it is interesting when you look at President Biden's comments, of course, you notice, right, he talked about what Hamas did as sheer evil, pure, unadulterated evil, right? Those are words that are exactly the words you hear here. That is exactly what they want to hear. That is what they believe is happening. And he was very clear in how he uh, described things. He was very clear. Uh, Karine Jean-Pierre, as you know later, saying, let's be clear, there are no two sides uh, to this issue. So all of that 
obviously very important here. But also, Jake, just on the practical level, I know that there's a real push uh, by the Biden administration to uh, quickly rush in aid. But when you just look at the barrage of rockets that continually keep coming in here, it's it's not just a matter of whether they overwhelm, <clears throat> excuse me, the Iron Dome in one onslaught, right? It's just the overall drawdown of what they do to Israeli capabilities. So that there is a need. They're very clear that there is a need. Uh, and and it's at least at this point, uh, nothing but, but thanks to the United States for how the Biden administration is handling it. All right, Aaron, thanks so much. And we'll look more for uh, more of your reporting on Aaron Burnett out front tonight at 7 p.m. Eastern in just about two hours. Thanks so much. I want to go now to CNN's uh, Nick Robertson, who's in Stirot in southern Israel, just a few miles from Gaza. And Nick, the U.N. is calling the latest developments in Israel, quote, bone chilling. And, and truly, some of the stories we have heard uh, as the IDF and others uh, go into different parts of Israel and, and find the, the remains of Israelis, civilians, civilians that the Hamas terrorists slaughtered um, are just so upsetting. Um, tell us more about where, what you're seeing and hearing. Yeah, one of the reasons these stories have been slow to come out is because it's taken so long for the Israeli Defense Forces to fight and kill so many Hamas uh, militants in some of these communities. In Hafa Azza, where we were today, population usually about 700 civilians living there in a small community. Um, 70 Hamas militants stormed into it. Some flew in, some bloke uh, on paragliders, some came in through the gates uh, and started killing people. But it wasn't straightforward killing. It was binding people's hands and killing them. According to the general in charge there, he said that there was decapitations. We, to be frank, didn't see and weren't shown bodies of, uh, of anyone decapitated. But this is what was described. And, and, and the point that he went on to make was, look, he said, when I got in here, and, and, and he's a retired general, 39-year veteran, um, and he came out of it came out of his armchair, came out of retirement Saturday morning, bang, positioned himself as close as he could to support everyone in these communities. He said, when I got in and saw what happened, he said, I was reminded of what General Eisenhower said when he saw the death camps in World War II, and that was get the journalists, which is exactly what the Israeli Defense Forces did today when they took us into Kafa Azza to show what had happened there. That fight, that fight and the brutality that they described is, 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 is something that I think is part of the reason why we're hearing the UN respond in this way. But don't listen to me. Listen to the words of the general who was there and fought, for the, fought to take back control and what he saw. And people run out with their children and they kill them. They kill babies in the front of their parents and then kill the parents. They kill parents and we found babies between the dogs and the, and the uh, family that killed before him. They cut head of the people. What I saw, uh, hundreds of terrorists with full arm, full gear, with all the equipment and all the ability, make a massacre, go from apartment to apartment, from room to room, and kill babies, mothers, fathers in their bedrooms. I heard during my childhood about the pogrom in Europe and, and the Holocaust, of course. All my family came from, from Europe and their survival, etc., etc. I never think that I will see in my eyes picture and, and, and things like this. 
And, and this is why it's so shocking for, for a, a military veteran with so much experience to see things that, that makes him think of the atrocities of World War II uh, tells you the level that this has gotten to, Jake. All right, Nick Robertson, thank you so much. Um, we're going to go back to Israel in a moment, but we also want to touch on a vital meeting happening right now among House Republicans. Uh, this is one day before the speakership vote. Uh, remember, the U.S. government cannot really function without a speaker of the U.S. House of Representatives. Uh, let's get right to CNN's Manu Raju on Capitol Hill. Uh, Manu, the dysfunction of House Republicans now has global ramifications. What is going on there right now? Yeah, and the world, Republicans know the world is watching them, even as they are struggling to get behind a single candidate after the unprecedented ouster of the sitting Speaker Kevin McCarthy last week. And just right now, Steve Scalise, the House Majority Leader, and the House Judiciary Committee Chairman Jim Jordan walked in behind closed doors to talk, meet with the full 221-member conference to make their pitch. We expect them to make their speeches tonight about why they deserve to be elected Speaker. Each man will have five minutes to make their case. And then they will open up to questions. Any member can ask any round of questions. It can go as long as possible. And then ultimately they'll close out for today. Tomorrow is the key day. That is the leadership election. Right now, under current conference rules, a majority of the conference, 112 members is enough, 111 members is enough to nominate the next Speaker of the House. But there is a dispute and a debate and something that Jim Jordan is pushing specifically to make sure that whoever gets the nomination actually can get 217 votes. Why? To avoid the long, drawn-out process on the House floor like we saw back in January when McCarthy went 15 rounds to be ultimately elected Speaker. But there's a problem with that, Jake. There is not consensus yet between for either man. Both men know, recognize that they are going to fall short of 217 votes. So the process behind closed doors could last some time. And Jake, Kevin McCarthy himself, even as he is facing a push from some of his supporters to potentially run again, told his co colleagues not to nominate him for the speakership in today's closed-door meeting. So we'll see ultimately how that plays out. But, Jake, also some of the detractors, the people who voted to oust Kevin McCarthy, the eight Republicans are here in the room. One of them, Congressman Matt Gates, said he had not yet made up his mind. Another one, Congresswoman Nancy Mace walked in with the letter A on her shirt as she walked into closed doors. She was asked by her colleague, Annie Greer, what that was about. She said it was a scarlet letter. Jake. Okay. That's not making me convinced that they uh, have their act together. Manu Raju, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Let's get another live look at Gaza. A brief moment of calm, but explosions continue to go off and the world needs to hear the stories coming from those stuck there, from those hearing the explosions over their homes and stories from families waiting for any word that their loved ones are alive and coming home. You also need to hear from those suffering loss. The brother of my next guest was a peace activist. He was against what Netanyahu was doing. The terrorists found him hiding in a closet, and then they killed him. His story is next. Parts of Gaza on fire earlier today. You can see the flames pouring out of this boat as the IDF continues to pound the territory with rockets as retaliation for the terrorist attack on Saturday. Lieutenant Colonel Jonathan Conricus is the international spokesman for the Israel Defense Forces. He's with me right now. Thanks for joining us, sir. The IDF said earlier today that there were a number of launches from Syria uh, aimed for Israel that fell in open areas. What can you tell us about this? Who is behind those attacks? Yeah, 
thanks for having me here. Um, the situation is that we are actually uh, with active fighting on three fronts. The primary one is in Gaza, where there is still fighting ongoing. There are still attacks coming out of Gaza towards Israel. There was an attack in Ashkelon, uh, in a coastal city in southern Israel. There was uh, an attack uh, just in a kibbutz called Mefalsim, also in southern Israel, in the Gaza envelope area. And we're still talking about an active combat zone in that area, not regarded to the whole aerial campaign that you just referred to, but things happening on the ground. Uh, we are deployed along our northern border in Lebanon, and there were skirmishes, and there has been a the fire of a anti-tank missile by Hezbollah towards Israel. Yesterday, there were attempts to infiltrate on the ground that were successfully thwarted. And the last front to become active is the Syrian front, where a few hours ago, rockets were fired from Syrian sovereign soil towards Israel, As of now, I cannot confirm the identity of those firing. I cannot say if it was one of many Iranian proxies that are active in Syria uh, under Syrian um, approval, under Iranian control, or if it were Syrian forces or perhaps Hezbollah. That remains to be confirmed from an intelligence point of view, but uh, this, of course, adds complexity to our situation And to that, if I may, I'd add that there are also quite a lot of events ongoing in Judea and Samaria. Uh, we have had uh, clashes between Palestinians and Israelis in various communities, and there have been attempts by armed terrorists coming out of Jenin in uh, Judea, in Samaria, to attack Israeli troops. So a very, very dynamic environment where we are vigilant and defending ourselves on more than three fronts. Uh, let's talk about um, the individuals, the Palestinians in Gaza, who are not part of Hamas uh, and do not deserve uh, to be hurt uh, in, this, in these retaliatory strikes. On Saturday, when I asked you what they should do, you said that they should go to the shore or they should go to the south. Um, I talked to an American, a Palestinian-American woman in Gaza right now who said uh, that that's not really possible. Um, and she went to the border crossing, the only open border crossing uh, in Gaza right now between Egypt and the Gaza Strip. Uh, and Israel, as you know, has been pummeling it with rockets all day. Um, this even came up at the White House briefing today. Obviously, there are more than two million Palestinians live in Gaza. Um, and I, I'm sure you don't want to hurt the innocent ones. Uh, what are you doing to make sure that the innocent ones do not get hurt? And what can be done to provide Uh, access so they can leave Gaza. Yeah, you're very right in a lot about what you're saying. A, we definitely do not want to hurt any non-combatants. B, it is an extremely complex situation. Gaza is extremely dense and created uh, by more than two million uh, Palestinians. Sadly, the enemies that we're fighting are cowards, and they use civilian infrastructure in order to uh, for their military purposes. And uh, if you'll walk around the Gaza Strip, I don't think that you'll find even one sign on a building that says this is the Hamas headquarters for producing rockets or gathering intelligence. It simply doesn't exist, and they use all the civilian infrastructure for their military purposes. I mention this because The footage running on the screen uh, is what looks like a civilian building. But in fact, these are military targets. 
used by Hamas for their military purposes, and as such, they are qualified military targets. You asked what we do in order to minimize the risk for non-combatants. We do a lot. We are still in a stage, and we will continue to be in a stage where we abide by the law of international of international warfare. Uh, we do not wish to harm the uh, civilians. It is extremely unfortunate that they are caught in between uh, Hamas and ourselves. Uh, unfortunately, Hamas leaves us no other option. We're fighting to defend ourselves. Rockets are being fired at Israel as we speak. They've been fired at Israel throughout the day in southern Israel. And in order to mitigate that rocket fire yeah. and the ability of Hamas to fight, we fire at the military targets. We non-combatants and combatants. We still do warnings and roof knockings and other tactics in order to minimize these civilian casualties. I know and understand the complexity of the situation, but unfortunately, Hamas and the Islamic Jihad leave us with no choice. Well, I would just say that uh, you and your government and Egypt uh, need to open up that border so, so innocent Palestinians can get out of Gaza. But that's all the time we have. Lieutenant Colonel Jonathan Conricus, thank you for your time. I appreciate it. Moments ago, another explosion in Gaza. We have seen several since we've been on the air. More accounts from folks leaving in the, living in the region and living through this horror uh, that's next. As we learn more about the bloodshed and see with our own eyes the carnage that continues to unfold in Gaza and Israel, we are also learning about the barbarism, the terrorism committed by Hamas on Saturday that led to this current war. Uh, Joining us now is Yoav Shmoni, whose grandmother was viciously killed by Hamas, which, as if that weren't enough, recorded video of her dying and uploaded it to her Facebook account and then set her house on fire. Yoav, I am at a loss. I cannot fathom any of what I just said, uh, especially the idea of your family going to Facebook and having to see that video of your grandmother. How are you and your family coping? Well, we're all just trying to do the best we can. The situation doing what um, my grandma would have wanted us to do. You know, first of all, um, she was... That's why uh, partly I'm doing I'm conducting this interview because she was a great lover of the news. It was a passion of hers. She would spend like four hours a day at least watching the news. And I think she would want her story shared. My mother and my parents are currently in Israel going to Eilat and all of the rescue centers to help out all of the victims and all of the survivors from the attacks. But I, I cannot, I can't lie. It's very difficult. The images of the video uh, flashing my head, it's hard to sleep. It's hard to really do anything. I think I first heard about the story um, that there, there was a young woman who told the story. Is that a relative of yours, a, a sister of yours? That is my cousin. Your cousin told the story. Mm-hmm. I, it's just, I mean, I guess we know that the terrorists who did the attacks on Saturday. I mean, there's just a level of just a lack of humanity there, but then just. (sighs) I'm just such at a loss that anybody would not only do that, but then like want to inflict that upon her friends and family to make them watch. 
Yeah. What did you guys call it's, her? And we, I, I, I call her Safta, which is Hebrew for grandma. Yeah. Um, but um, her name was Baracha Levinson. And just, I, I know her story and our story is horrid, but keeping hearing all of the other stories, for example. So my mom is now helping all of the victims and she is all that hearing the most horrendous things of babies having their head chopped off in their beds, families being slaughtered at a point blank range, 80 year old women being kidnapped and taken into Gaza and also being filmed while they're being tortured on their way for their families to see. It's just, I, I, all of the images and all of the, all of the victims of the last few days are going through inhumane, unimaginable things that I wouldn't wish upon anyone. Yo, I've tell me, tell me about your Safta. What, in addition to, to being a fan of the news, what what do you want the world to know about her? How strong and how brave and how amazing she was. She raised my mom and my aunt as a single mom. She loved the kibbutz she lived in. She lived there for seven years. And even when tensions were rising, every time she always was so optimistic. She, I would call her every time and she would say, don't worry, I'm safe. And if I were in Israel, she would be more concerned to my safety, which also echoed to the way she was up until her death, like 10 minutes before her death. I have the um, conversation with my mom and, her, and my aunt where they were all asking about each other's safety during the missiles. And my grandma was more concerned about my mom and my aunt's safety than her own. She was in the shelter, but she was just making sure that we're all safe, that we're good. And then within 10 minutes of those messages, um, we saw the video. I'm so sorry. Yoav. Thank you. I'll be thinking about you and your family, um, and may your softest memory be a blessing. Thank you so much. Thank, thank you. you. For, thank you for joining us. As the fighting between Israel and Hamas intensifies, so too does the humanitarian crisis in the area. If you feel compelled, if you can afford to help with humanitarian relief efforts for those in Israel and the innocents in Gaza, you can head to cnn.com impact. We've got a list of vetted organizations that are on the ground responding. That's cnn.com impact. We'll be right back. Four days after Hamas launched rockets and sent terrorists into Israel to commit unspeakable crimes, there are still major questions about how this happened. Senator Mark Warner, he's chairman of the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence, is here. Senator, um, Mr. Chairman, thanks for joining us. Reuters is reporting that Hamas misled Israel for months as it planned this attack and even, quote, constructed a mock Israeli settlement in Gaza where militants practiced a military landing and trained to storm it. Um, So it seems as though they tried uh, a ruse of of sorts. Um, But the bigger question is this is obviously a massive intelligence failure um, and I know everybody's going to say there's going to be time to focus on how this happened later. Right now it's about um, solving the problem and the threat of Israel. But, but 
How could something, an intelligence failure this big happen? How could it happen? Well, Jake, you want to know, I want to know. And I agree with your characterization. These are brutal acts by a terrorist operation that sole intent appears to be not helping Palestinians, but to murder Jews, murder Israelis. Um, But in that sense, and I, I say this, and I will find the answer of what happened with Israel and, frankly, even with American intelligence. But right now, I want Israeli intelligence, American intelligence, 100% focused on taking out these terrorist leaders and also making sure that we don't see the spread of violence to the West Bank or coming out of Lebanon with Hezbollah. Um, You know, as you know, in these images and these stories that we're hearing all day of, of Israelis and American citizens being killed, you know, the focus ought to be getting rid of the terrorists right now and bringing some level of calm but not, and not seeing, unfortunately, this violence spread. How can Hamas be eliminated, the terrorists of Hamas that run the West Bank, I mean, sorry, that run Gaza, with as little harm as is humanly possible to the millions of Palestinians in Gaza who are not part of Hamas. I mean, I don't know what the percentages are, but there are 2.3 million Palestinians in Gaza. I assume that most of them, I mean, a million of them are kids. I assume most of the 2.3 million are not part of Hamas. I mean, the last election in Gaza was something like 2005 or 6. 2007. But 2007. But and, I mean, and, they, they didn't was, even elect them is the point. Right. right. And they have been there. And frankly, if anything, we've seen that Hamas was getting less popular because uh, you know, they're not providing any services. They have not done anything on a meaningful way in terms of engaging, in terms of um, greater Palestinian economic autonomy. They've seen literally billions of dollars go into the region. Right. So you're making my point is like, yeah, what, no, what, what can we do? That, like, so the U.S. That, yeah, the U.S. Yeah. is doing everything it can to support Net, uh, Netanyahu and Israel. And I certainly understand that Hamas is, is classified terrorist group. They certainly proved that over the weekend as if anybody needed any further proof. But what can be done? I mean, we spoke earlier in the show to a Palestinian American woman and her who has three kids. She's stuck in Gaza. She can't get out. I mean, Surely there should be some sort of passage so innocent people can get get out of there. And that will be a decision made by the Israeli government, which I know is trying to take out these militants, terrorists who've created barbaric acts. I mean, the, the notion that there were children, at least press reports, being beheaded in kibbutzes around Gaza, that, that is inhuman. This is not, you know, a political force against uh, of course a not. government. This, it is, this, this is pure yeah, evil. Yeah. And how they, Israel does this in a way that doesn't create more terrorists in the making, I, I wish I had a simple, easy answer on that. And I think that notion of trying to bring some level of rule of law after barbaric acts is what I know, uh, and, and Israel has that history and tradition. Um, 
but I don't know the answer of yeah. how the next few days will play out. I do know this, that you know, you've got an, unfortunately, this is even further exacerbated by hundreds of hostages, yeah. some of which are clearly dual citizen Americans. All right, Senator Mark Warner, the chairman of the Select Committee of Intelligence at the U.S. Senate. Thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Breaking news, the first plane carrying U.S. ammunition has landed in Israel. The IDF says the delivery is, quote, designed to enable significant blows and preparation for additional scenarios. More on that to come. But first, a peace activist, just one of the hundreds of victims of the brutal Hamas attack, the deadliest day for Jews in the world since the Holocaust. We're going to talk with his brother next. We are learning more and more each day of such horrific and traumatic stories of those who were either kidnapped or killed by terrorists of Hamas on Saturday. I want to show you now one of the victims killed in this clear act of terrorism. His name was Chaim Katzman. He was 32. He was a peace activist. His neighbor told CNN that Chaim was shot to death as he hid in a closet. Here's how she described uh, this man who was murdered in cold blood. He was a wonderful person. He was a talented person. He was a funny person. He was a he was someone who wanted to live. His name is Chaim. Chaim in Hebrew is life. That's the meaning of his name. And he gave life to this planet because he saved me and I was able to save two kids. He was a good friend. He was a good soul in this world. And Noe Katzman joins me now. Uh Chaim was their brother. Uh, Noi, I'm, I'm very, very sorry for your loss. Um, Chaim's neighbor describes, describes him as a, as a wonderful person. What do you want people to know about Chaim? Um, okay, so Chaim was, um, he was, uh, as I said, so he used to, he was, first of all, he was a brilliant academic Um in uh in the um yes <laughs> sorry yes he was a brilliant academic in israel studies he wrote about uh, religious religious zionism and about the um risks and the danger of uh right-wing uprising in israel yeah it's um, my understanding he cared a lot about the palestinian people and that he and that he um he really he he opposed the Netanyahu government, and he was trying to work to bring upon you know bring rights to the human rights to the Palestinian people. Definitely, um, he was an activist in the Masafariata, where uh, the IDF is doing uh, and Israel are doing uh, um, cleansing um, of the Palestinians of the native Palestinians who live there. He was a very active there. I, I'm also um, part of that community, and they wrote to me how he was active there. He also uh, volunteered in uh, Rahat, which is a Bedouin city, um, which sadly doesn't have enough uh, shelters now, and a lot of people from there are killed. Um, and he also was uh, active in uh, Watch, Chsam um, Watch, which um, takes like uh, watches. It's like watch watching the occupation, and also in um, Academy for uh, Equality. Which how, is, um, how, how was he as a sibling? Um, so he was a sibling. So 
sorry. Yes, uh, he was a sibling of me. Um, yeah, so we grew up together in Petah uh, Tikva, which is the city next to Jerusalem, uh, next to Tel Aviv, sorry. Um, and uh, it wasn't always easy, but still today I'm very proud of him and all that what he did and still till the day of his death. Um, how was your family yes, doing? I, I how was your family? How was your family doing? I mean, such a horrible thing. Yes, um, I actually was in a student exchange in Germany. I started my student exchange, um, and I needed to fly back a few days ago. Uh, like I came only this morning, like uh, last night, um, and uh, yeah. So I, I finally saw my family, and they are. Um, Yes, it's like difficult. We're six uh, siblings and um, not easy for us. Noi Katzman, may Chaim's memory be a blessing. I'm so sorry for your loss. Can I say one more thing? Yeah. Thank you so much. Um, yes. Yeah, so I want, what I wanted to say is the most important for me and I think also for my brother was that his death won't be used to kill innocent people. Um, and sadly, um, my government, our government, my government is using cynically the death of people to just kill. Like they promised us, it was gonna bring, it's gonna bring us um, like security. But of course, it's not security because they always tell us, oh, that if we're gonna kill enough Palestinians, or they're gonna, so it's gonna be better for us. But of course, it never brings us peace and it never brings us better lives. It just brings more and more terror and more and more. Uh, people killed like my brother and I don't want anything to happen to people in Gaza like it happens to my brother and I'm sure he wouldn't have any uh, either so that's my call to my government to stop killing innocent people and that's not the way that brings us peace and uh, security to people in Israel Noe Katzman thank you so much and may your brothers may Chaim's memory be a blessing thank you we are also monitoring another big story this hour. The hallways of Capitol Hill are quite, quite full. Uh, House Republicans are meeting right now ahead of tomorrow's vote on uh, who could be the next speaker if they are able to manage to cobble together a majority and pick a speaker. I know it's, it's quite a difficult task, apparently. CNN's Manu Raj is on the case. We'll check in with him next. In our politics lead right now, House Republicans are meeting behind closed doors, listening to Congressman Steve Scalise of Louisiana and Jim Jordan of Ohio pitch themselves on why they should be voted the next speaker. But in the middle of all this, the Justice Department has charged one of the Republicans voting, George Santos of New York, with 23 counts, including identity theft and money laundering. CNN's Manu Raju is on Capitol Hill for us, where this news is just breaking. Uh, Manu, uh, I know you have to do a lot to get kicked out of the Republican Party these days, but can Congressman Santos keep his job as he faces these charges? This has been a huge question all year long. Of course, he had been charged earlier this year. This is a superseding indictment, Jake, that was just announced by the Justice Department, filed in district court in New York. According to this release, he was charged with conspiracy, wire fraud, false statements, falsification of records, aggravated identity theft, 
and credit card fraud. Of this indictment, just unsealed. We'll have to go through all the details and the allegations therein. But undoubtedly, this will put pressure on Republicans to take action on George Santos. So far, they have left it to the House Ethics Committee to come down and recommend any actions on Santos. So far, the Ethics Committee has not yet done that as it continues to investigate. How will they proceed? And how will Santos proceed tomorrow? He is still expected to vote in the secret ballot election tomorrow to vote for a candidate for speaker here as Jim Jordan and Steve Scalise are behind closed doors in the room behind me trying to lock down the votes. So at the moment, Jake, George Santos has indicated that he would not resign. Will this change? That will be one question here that we'll pose to him and some of his members, colleagues, if they believe it's time for him to step aside, Jay. And just to be clear, who, this, the next speaker needs 217 votes. Uh, that's the math right now. Do either Scalise or Jordan have 217 votes? The answer to that is no, Jake. In fact, right now, behind closed doors, both men are taking questions from their colleagues, from the 221 members of the House GOP conference. But in talking to a number of the members earlier today, there is a lot of concern, frustration, some directed at Matt Gates, the person who led the ouster of Speaker McCarthy, and those eight Republicans who voted him out. And some simply want more time to consider these two candidates before the secret ballot election tomorrow. All right, Manu Raju, it seems like quite a mess there. They're definitely going to still have the vote tomorrow? Jake, at the moment, that's the plan. We have the secret ballot election in the House GOP conference. But the bigger, larger question is when they will actually get a vote on the House floor. That is uncertain because at the moment... Jim Jordan has indicated if he gets the votes to become nominated as speaker, he wants to ensure this won't go ballot after ballot after ballot, that he can actually get 217 votes on the floor simply to get nominated by the conference. You need to have a majority of the 221 members. But Jordan does not want to go to a situation like we saw with Speaker McCarthy back in January, 15 ballots, that messy process, which is why they're trying to sort this out behind closed doors. And the question, Jake, is can either either uh, Jordan or Scalise get there? Yeah. The expectation is that they can. We'll see if they ultimately can. All right, Manu, thanks so much. Our coverage continues now with Wolf Blitzer in the Situation Room. We all do things our own way. And since the way that each of us sleeps is unique, you need a bed that fits you just the right way. Sleep Number smart beds make your sleep experience as individual as you are, using cutting-edge technology to give you effortless, high-quality sleep every night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $15.99. Save $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.